0: Amen. Build your church, Lord Jesus, to your glory. I'd like you to turn with me as we come to God's Word today to 2 Chronicles 14 and verse 9, and what I consider a stunning verse, because we want to talk today about your eyes, my eyes, but we don't talk about our eyes without starting with the Lord's eyes. This is something that God will say to an Old Testament king, ruling in Jerusalem. His name was King Asa. And each one of our core values, five core values over these five weeks were tying to one king. And um, I never ceased to be moved by verse 9, where a prophet will say to King Asa, for the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth. For the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth. Why? To strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him can you imagine that now we have eyes our eyes are very remarkable they're the most complex organ in our body over 200 parts 2 million parts over 2 million parts in your eye to take elect- electromagnetic waves that fall in the frequency of visible light uh, red orange yellow green blue indigo violet in case you're interested in the frequency spectrum and Translate into our ability to interpret shapes, and dimensions, and colors. Our, our eyeballs are amazing things, God's creation, and God wants us to use our eyes. He wants to employ us in a mission, where He gives us a ten of eyes. But it all starts with God's ten of eyes, and this always catches me up short because. I'm used to us seeking God, right? That's why our first core value is, is to have hungry hearts. That's what we'll do tonight when we gather, just seeking after the Lord. But here God is saying, um, as you're seeking me and even before you're seeking me, I am seeking you. My eyes are ranging through the whole earth. And I'm looking for somebody that I can put the resources of heaven behind I'm not looking for somebody to kick around and remind them they still don't come up short. I'm looking for those whose hearts are truly hungry for me. And he says, as they're looking for me with hungry hearts, I'm looking for them. Because when I find them, I love to pour my strength into them. This, this is amazing. These, these are God's amazingly attentive eyes. These are God's amazingly attentive eyes. We find them in places like Isaiah Isaiah 66. where where God will say, you know, I made the heavens and the earth, so where on earth could you ever make a place for me to live? And in God's, so to speak, house hunt, he said, but these are who I look to when I want to find a dwelling place. I look to those who are humble and contrite and who tremble at my word. And um, places like Psalm 10, that, that very painful psalm, that sort of the psalm of the oppressor, and the oppressor has most of the press in Psalm chapter 10, the wicked who, who take advantage of the vulnerable and, and perpetrate injustice in our world. And, and, and they say, oh, God doesn't care. Oh, he does even doesn't see. But but then we come, the psalmist declares in verse 14, but you, God, you see trouble. And you see the trouble of the afflicted. The wicked may think they're getting away from it with it for a while, but you see it all. Your incredibly attentive eyes, especially don't miss the plight of the victim and the underprivileged. You see the trouble of the afflicted, you consider their grief, and you take it into into your hands. This is what the attentive eyes of God mean for us. That he sees our grief. He sees when we're, we're, we're getting the short end of it. And people are walking. And injustice is, is our part. And we feel powerless against so many things that feel out of our control. God says, I see it. And I consider your grief. And I take it into hands. And victims therefore commit themselves to me. For I am the helper of the fatherless. Or ultimately Jesus like described in Matthew chapter nine, and sometimes at this point in Jesus' ministry is like he can't get rid of the people. He has to escape early in the mornings to find places alone to pray, and, and and people everywhere. And another one of these moments, they look up and over the hill is coming another massive crowd. I I would be tempted to be resentful. I would be tempted to go, oh, those bothersome people. Is there no end to them? But Jesus he saw the crowds and when he saw with those amazingly attentive eyes when he saw the crowds he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd he didn't see them as a pain in the neck he didn't see them as another bother but he saw them with the eyes of god those eyes of jesus and those attentive eyes that see people differently than sometimes we see people and this is this is what God has to remind King Asa of. Of God's incredibly attentive eyes for Asa. Because Asa was struggling with something that becomes a lot of our stories. In, in the spiritual climate today, spiritual drift. I mean, I have to consciously, week by week, work, even though I'm a pastor, I have to work against. What seems to be in the air, just, just the deluge of distractions and that spiritual drift that can happen in my life. And we live in a city here in Springfield, the buckle of the Bible belt, right? That means we've got thousands of people. You couldn't say they're unchurched. They they walk with the Lord at one time. But now they're just plain dechurched. Somewhere spiritual drift set into their lives. And that spiritual drift led because it always goes from drift to deconstruction. And pretty soon you've rationalized the spiritual drift till you have nothing to do with God again. And COVID has not helped us because it's kept us separated. And some as much as we love another half of our crowd that's online right now, for many, many people in America, there's been profound spiritual drift as we've been disconnected from. Public worship disconnected from each other. This was Asa's battle. Now King Asa, and this is why God has to talk to him about a ten of eyes. King Asa started out really well. Second Chronicles chapter fourteen tells us he to begin with, like he, he was a good king and he, and he had a heart for God and, and 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 he actually began to lead a movement in Jerusalem back to God and he started out well. But God tested his, it's like God allowed his faith to be tested early, and he's going to pass this test with flying colors, because two invading armies come in on him in Jerusalem, the Cushites and the Libyans, And, and Asa's in a heap of trouble. Asa has all the odds against him, naturally speaking, and these invading, ferocious, large armies are coming down upon him, and Asa has a prayer meeting in verse 11 of 2 Chronicles 14. And Asa called out to the Lord his God and said, God, there's no one like you to help the powerless against the mighty. Remember, this is a God whose eyes see the powerless. He sees you help the powerless against the mighty. So help us, Lord our God, for we rely on you. And in your name, we have come against this vast army. Lord, you are our God. Do not let mere mortals prevail against you. So he's getting 100% here, he's, and he's desperate, and he's calling out to the Lord, and he's trusting the Lord. He's got a heart for the Lord, and now his future rests on whether or not God's going to intervene for him. And sure enough, God pulls a, a military miracle, and these two empires end up fleeing in terror from Jerusalem, and the little guy wins And Asa, whose heart was towards the Lord, he he experienced this amazing victory of trust. But it's probably two or three decades before he ever fights another battle again. And I don't know what happened in that time. Maybe he got soft. Sometimes we need struggles and fights just to keep... Our faith on the cutting edge, just to stay reliant on the Lord. I pray all the time for His blessings, but I realize that if all I know is His blessing, then um, then I can get too comfortable and I lose my desperation for God, and then I start to drift. Unfortunately, and this happened in Asa's life. Asa starts drifting. Now we find out at the beginning of chapter sixteen that it's his thirty-sixth year as king. It's been at least three decades since he fought a battle, and he comes under attack again, this time by an army from the north. And does Asa do what he did the first time? No. Spiritual drift had so profoundly infected his life that this time he doesn't call upon the Lord. He doesn't go to the temple and pray. He goes to the temple and steals the silver and the gold out of the temple, and he pays off a pagan king, to help him defeat the king that's attacking him. And he doesn't pray at all. He doesn't trust God. This profound spiritual drift had come into his life. And and surprisingly, because of the incredible mercy of God, it worked, at least short term. I mean, long term, he'd be paying the price for paying off the Arameans. But short-term, it actually worked. And he's on his way back to Jerusalem feeling pretty good about himself. And a prophet all of a sudden shows up in the road. His name is Hanani. And we see in verse 7 of chapter 16, Hanani the seer came to Asa the king of Judah and said to him, because you relied on the king of Aram and not on the Lord your God, The army of the king of Aram has escaped from your hand, and that will cause you trouble down the road. And then he reminds them of what happened 30 years earlier. Were not the Cushites and the Libyans that mighty army with great chariots and horsemen? You know, don't you remember them? Yet you relied on the Lord, and he delivered them into your hand. Don't you remember how that worked? And then it comes. God's a of eyes. He says, because the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. He's trying to use some positive reinforcement, he said. He, he said, he said Asa, don't you remember what your God is like? That God you used to have a heart for. His eyes are just looking for something, that he, someone that he can throw heaven behind. But You've forgotten this. You've forgotten God's a of eyes. And you've drifted. And that's the story of so many of our friends right now. I know people whose faith is actively deconstructing right now. But it didn't start by just suddenly overnight waking up and falling off a cliff spiritually. It just started, eh, I don't need fellowship with other Christians that much. Eh, just a little more of the party scene, a little less of God. Uh, Corporate worship, I don't know what I think of that anymore. It's kind of hokey music compared to what I prefer to listen to. And just that drift, that drift, that separation. Then we can blame it on pandemics and things, but just that drift. And pretty soon we're deconstructing. That's why in Hebrews chapter 3 The Asa story gets picked up for us in the context of a New Testament church like we are. And he he marshals the ten of eyes, now not God's attentive of eyes to us, but the attentive of eyes we therefore need for one another because of the dangers of spiritual drift. And he says, see to it, verse 12, see to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living god i mean there there is some way in which in which we as brothers and sisters in christ we just sang, god build your church and part of that happens as we take up a ten of eyes and see to it that it's not easy for those among us to start drifting and developing an unbelieving sinful heart this was starting to happen amongst the believers that the Hebrew writer was writing to. These were especially priests who had converted from Judaism, but under the press of persecution from Jews, Jews on one side and Romans from the other, they were considering going back into a pre-Christ condition of backsliding, we would say, of, of deconstructing their faith in Jesus and going back. And he's saying to the church, we, you need to stay strong as the church of Jesus Christ. And there are eternal things at risk here, eternal destiny. There's so much at stake. So see to it that, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns from the, away from the living God. But encourage one another daily, as long as it's called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Here's how I like to put it. I kind of created this sentence, and I'm just going to put it on the screen for you. This is the power of what he's telling the church to do here, because it's a ten of eyes as we see to it, as we're just watching one another. It's a ten of eyes upon us as believers as people have their eyes upon us that helps to prevent spiritual drift within us. And we all need to live in that place where we are in a family of God where there are attentive eyes all around us. Because I'll tell you, I can't do this solo. I need you. I'm so grateful I've had critical moments in my life where somebody has known me well enough that that they have said, Jim, you don't seem like yourself lately. I've had critical moments when my wife has had the courage to say, Jim, I mean, you you just seem to be walking under a cloud. You seem down all the time. I mean, what is going, what's not working right inside of you right now? And uh, I've sometimes had those people lay hands on me and pray for me and literally one situation years ago when my wife laid hands on me and prayed for me. It was like that cloud just disappeared. Like God delivered me in a moment from something I don't know where it might have taken me. But I thank God for people who have the eyes of Jesus. I, I can't go this solo. I need your attentive eyes in my life. Sure, I'm a pastor. Big deal. I'm trying to follow Jesus just like you are. And I need people. And I think it's my responsibility. I can't blame this on you. It's my responsibility to make sure that there are people in my life who know how to pray for me specifically. At least a few people, not to pray specifically. I mean, you all know how to pray. Lord bless our pastor. But to pray specifically, and I think every one of us needs that. You need. You need people who know this week how to pray specifics to call out to God on your behalf, who are watching over you spiritually and seeing with the eyes of Jesus your life right now. The, 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 this is it. Especially, I just feel to say, if you're taking on extraordinary steps of faith or extraordinary risks right now, or you're starting a new job, or you've just taken on some new responsibility, you need people who know how to pray for you spiritually because a ten of eyes upon us help to prevent spiritual drift within us. But if I could turn that over a little more positive, it's also true that the spirit, the attentive eyes that ought to be within every one of us, the attentive eyes within us, well, in the same way, help to spur spiritual advance around us. It's what puts us on a mission it, it, because we know that God's looking for people who he can pour his strength into. And so he's going to marshal our eyes, and, 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 and he's going to say, that there are people I want you to pay attention to so that you can spur them on to love and good works. In fact, that's where the rite of Hebrews will go, saying to these believers who need to really be sure, see to it that no one starts drifting into an unbelieving, sinful heart. Heart. he will say a few chapters later in verse in chapter 10 verse 24 and let us consider how we may spur one another on toward loving good deeds not giving up just being together just meeting together so we can at least see each other so that we can watch over each other but Let's not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day of Jesus coming approaching this is it. I was in a small group years ago with my brother-in-law Doug and a mutual friend of ours Dave Doug and Dave and I we met when we all lived in Minneapolis years ago we met for breakfast every day I mean every week once a week for I think seven years six or seven years and I remember my friend our friend Dave he walked away one day and he said I love meeting with you guys and we'd, you know, we'd be all over the map some mornings, I mean, just griping or whatever we'd do. And sometimes we'd be talking theology. Sometimes we'd talk. We all went to the same church that I pastored. And, and we just, you know, we just had a great time. Sometimes we talked about life, marriage, all this stuff. But Dave would say, you know what? It's funny. Every time I walk away from breakfast with you guys, something inside me just wants to serve Jesus more. I mean... It doesn't matter what we talk about or if we even talked about that much of substance. There's something inside of me that just wants to serve Jesus more when I walk away from you guys. And that's encouraging one another. That's not forsaking being together. That's being in a place where our attentive eyes on others are spurring them on to spiritual advance in their lives. And others attentive eyes on us are helping to prevent that insidious spiritual drift that not a one of us is immune from. Paul even even is a little more specific in 1 Thessalonians 5, and we urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle and disruptive and encourage the disheartened and help the weak and be patient with everybody. This is what we do when we're together as the people of God. And we watch each other with a ten of eyes. This is what we do. And in a word, we love one another. In fact, the pastor of the Azusa Street Revival, out of which Central Assembly eventually came, William Seymour, he said, the Pentecostal power, when you sum it all up, is just more of God's love. <laughs> if it does not bring more love, it's simply counterfeit. We can have hype, we can have manipulation, we can have beautiful music, we can have everything. But if the power of the Holy Spirit doesn't end up giving us loving, attentive eyes to one another, uh, what we're experiencing is not truly of God. What truly comes from God gives us eyes of care and love for one another where we do help the weak and we do warn the wicked and we do, we do speak over and care over and watch over one another's lives. So I, wanna, I just want to end by just, when there's a larger list in your, your notes, I just want to pick out a few of them, just about, about actually taking that step of just being a little more attentive to the people around us. First of all, I just would encourage you to ask Jesus to give you his eyes for people. Now, a few days ago, as we were preparing for our whole family to come, and our big family reunion that's now into its third or fourth day, um, and having a little one-and-a-half-year-old who can crawl very fast, <laughs> Sandy said to me a few days ago, not knowing what I was going to preach on, she said, I am starting to look at our house through Paxton's eyes, which means everything that's breakable and valuable, oh man, how much of that stuff's close to the floor? Let's get it up, you know, and we've got elastic bands taping uh, taping door handles together. You know, I mean, it just, when you start looking at your house through a, a little kid's eyes, you look at your house differently. What if we started looking at each other through Jesus' eyes? This is not just a psychological process. This is actually... If the spirit and power of Pentecost is in our lives, Jesus can help us see people differently. I pray this regularly. I call them, for me, pastoral eyes because I know the dark side of a lot of people's lives as a pastor, but I still want to be able to run into them in Walmart and dissociate all of that and still believe in their potential and care about them as people. These are, so for me, I call them pastoral eyes. For all of us, they're just attentive eyes. They're Jesus' eyes that he wants to give you. He wants to help you look at the people at work differently. He wants to help you look at even a few people in church that are, as we speak, driving you crazy. But he wants to give you... But what if you looked at him from Jesus' perspective with his eyes? Start there. Secondly, and it's no coincidence that our monthly name tag Sunday is today. <laughs> Just take the step of starting to learn more people's names. It's a powerful thing. When you actually... Go from a face, hey there, to a name. It's like it won't do everything for you, but it is a next step in bridging just from someone who's there to somebody who becomes real to you. You just see them with a little bit different eyes when you know their names. Now when I traveled as General Secretary for the Assemblies of God for a number of years, um, I, I was most Sundays preaching in other churches. I'd walk into a church lobby early. Often the pastor was maybe back in his office or her office, so I would walk, and there'd be some of our host volunteers, you know, like in the church, and I would, I, I would, it'd be awkward. It was usually the most awkward moment of the morning. I'd walk in. They don't know me. They have no clue who I am. They don't even know they they've got a guest speaker that morning, and that's bad news because everybody would prefer their own pastor, right? And, uh, please tell me, right? And, uh, <laughs> And, and, and so they look at me and, and sometimes they look at me and then just immediately look away. It's very hard often even to look into people's eyes. That's a good habit, just look at people's eyes. And then, and then they, and, and sometimes they, wouldn't, they just like stand there frozen like a new person just walked in here. And so sometimes I have, to, I have to go up and introduce myself to them. But once in a while they would say something to me. But I would tell you in all of the churches I visited in about eight years of traveling and preaching, um, I could probably name on one hand the number of times where somebody, even if they were friendly with me, it was only a handful of times that anybody ever asked my name. And my name's pretty easy, Jim, 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 Jim. I'm Jim. Pretty easy to pronounce, Jim. Like what you go to to work out, you know, Jim. Jim. Yeah, you know, and I just blew it off. I didn't expect people, you know, I just know that's the way most people are even, you know, God's people ought to be different, but, but, but rarely did anybody just look me in the eye and say, oh, you must be new. What's your name? And you, you kind of start, when it comes to connecting with people with of eyes, you start crossing the bridge when you, but I don't remember names well, and neither do I, but big deal. Keep learning names. Keep asking because you start humanizing people when you hear their name and something starts to happen there. And then I encourage you to seek out people who are not like you. And and I think this becomes the exercise because we can all kind of grow lazy and fat with this. You know, it's easy to notice the people we like and are like us and they're right in front of us all the time anyway start looking for people who are not like you, like, you know, someone who's new, they're not like you, if you've been coming here for 10 years, you know, look for somebody who maybe doesn't know what you know, they don't know all the people around you like you know them, and it's, it'll be easier just to spend all my time just with the people I know, but look for somebody unlike you. When I was a little kid, uh, like eight, nine years old, um, I was living in Winnipeg where I was born, up in Canada, And we lived in a southern suburb of Winnipeg, and our church was in the heart of downtown Winnipeg. And so it would be a 20-minute drive up downtown. However, my dad met this international student attending the University of Manitoba. And the University of Manitoba, unfortunately, was 15 miles south, the other direction from our church, from us. So we'd all get in the car every Sunday. We'd drive south 15 minutes, go to the dorms, pick up this guy. He was from the Caribbean. He was not like us at all, although he's wonderful. He grew up in a Caribbean culture, not a Canadian culture. He had dark skin, we had light skin. He had an accent, we didn't believe we had an accent. <laughs> I mean, you know, and, but, but he was trying to go after Jesus, studying this pagan university. And so, I don't know what the price of gas was back in those days, but we drive all the way south 15 minutes. And now adding it up, 15 and 20, what's that? We had all these minutes then to drive way up into downtown Winnipeg. And then he'd come, and he'd sit at our dinner table Sunday lunch with us. And my dad would say, "Say, I just love, I forget his name, I just love, I just love talking to this guy, he's so fascinating. And, and we could be a part of his spurring him on spiritually. And he was not like us at all, but we love this guy. And I just learned that, especially that imprinted me in ways I've never forgotten, watching my dad just love on somebody very much not like him. And then I encourage you to be a part of a small group and even to lead a small group. We make it easy for you. You don't have to be a rocket scientist to lead one of our small groups. I say that with some authority. You don't need to. You just just have to love people enough to, to watch over them. And bring them together, help them connect, and then watch what God does. And uh, so, remind you of that orientation. If you're even mildly interested in being a small group leader, uh, that second last Sunday morning of July at 9 a.m. during first service, encourage you to be a part of that. I watched Jared and Ann Lee up here in the, in the foyer on Wednesday night. There they are right there. Um, in the balcony and just behind them in the upper foyer Wednesday night while other people are in our elective classes they're leading a a life group and um, I sat with them at their table a few times the first few weeks there were barely two people there besides them survivability of this life group was questionable but they just kept caring for people they all they do is take the sermon notes from Sunday and talk about them And pray together. Three weeks ago I looked over there. It took three tables to get their life group all gathered around. All 17, 18 of them. This is what happens when we just start paying attention to one another. And we not only help protect against spiritual drift, but we spur on spiritual advance. When protective eyes are on us and our own eyes are on others, this is it. And all of this means that we have to, you know, attentive eyes means you have to live like you're on a mission. Otherwise, it's easy just to not notice people. But if you have Jesus eyes for people, you, you are you're getting up every day and saying, "I'm not just going to work. I'm on a mission. I'm on a mission to see people the way Jesus sees them, and then to take it the next steps." And we live like a mission, like we're on a mission. And I want to be the kind of guy like, like in Isaiah 6. Isaiah said, after God says, so who's going to go with me and who will I send? Isaiah said, hear my Lord send me. Lord send